Hi, this is Pastor Craig. Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of my podcast. I hope you enjoy it. You can contact us at studyhiswordministries at yahoo.com. Thanks again. Good morning. Ephesians chapter 5. This morning we're going to be doing Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 7. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Before we jump into these, uh, we've been uh, going through Ephesians now for about six months, and because of what Paul's writing here, I thought this might be a good time to just kind of do a little refresher or reminder about... this letter to the church at Ephesus, why we see some of the things we see in here. As you recall, the city of Ephesus was a large port city. Um, It was a major trade center. There was shipping that goes of a lot of things going in and out of Ephesus. It was a major, as I said, a trade center. You had a lot of people coming in and out of the city on business on a regular basis. It was a center for a lot of the occult practices. There was worship of pagan gods that went on in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, in Ephesus is where they had the statue to the goddess Diana, uh, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the, of the world. Um, this particular pagan god Diana, a lot of the worship of her involved a lot of um, sexual immorality. There was a lot of sex that went along with the worship of this God. Um, And what's interesting, you know, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking that we have seen in modern times more than one cults that when the cults get exposed, we see that that, Part of what was going on in that cult was that the leader or leaders were having sex with many of the women within the cult. So in some sense, things haven't changed much over thousands of years. Um, The themes that we see here in Ephesians that we've been going over the last few weeks as far as the... um, you know, what the lifestyle of a Christian looks like, the, the kinds of, of sin that we shouldn't be involved in. On the one hand, they're common themes throughout Paul's letter. A lot of the things that we see in Ephesians, we see in Colossians, we see in some of the other letters. So they're common themes. But we also see that even here in Ephesus, some of these are very specific to what was going on in Ephesus. For instance, the verses that we're going to look at today deal primarily with sexual immorality. It's specific to Ephesus because of what was going on there, 
But it's also specific, or I mean it's also pertinent in general because what was going on there was going on everywhere else to varying degrees. And really, let's face it, the sins of Ephesus are the sins that have been common to man throughout time. Um, These kinds of sins, the sins that we commit as human beings, they have no boundaries as far as time, geography, race, gender, age, anything like that. If we go back to the book of Genesis and we start reading in chapter 1 of Genesis, by the time you get to chapter 6 of Genesis, we see lying, we see deceit, we see covetousness, we see anger, we see greed, we see murder, and yes, we even see sexual sin by the time you get to chapter 6 of Genesis. So these things that Paul is talking about, common to Ephesus, but yet it's common to man. And it's, in a sense, the sins are timeless, if you want to look at it that way. Okay. All right, Ephesus, or Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. That first word there, fornication, comes from the Greek word porneia, and the Greek word porneia means whoredom, and it's where we get our English word pornography, but from the standpoint of what does it really mean, it's a word that means all forms of sexual immorality. It refers to any kind of sexual activity that falls outside of the bonds of marriage. So it's kind of an overall general statement of all sexual immorality. Paul says, and all uncleanness, all impurity... Impurity, uncleanness, those are the things that defile us in the presence of God. Those things that God finds abhorrent. Covetousness. Covetousness is the desire to have more than what you already have. Covetousness can be general in nature as far as desiring to have more of a lot of different things. Kind of an overall greed. It can be specific, it can be narrow, and I believe in this sense, based on the context of what Paul is saying, I believe that he's using a more narrow meaning of covetousness that is directly relating to sexual lusts and sexual desires. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse five, verses 5 through 7, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Very similar statement there as what we saw in Ephesians. Again, it just it, it, it shows the point that sin is universal and that these are areas of sin that we need to deal with as Christians. And again, it's covering and, and, and it's showing the link. You know, it, you see the covetousness and the sexual sin, the fornication, linked together. And it's just showing that connection between different types of immorality and greed our lustful desires, and how it drives us for self-indulgence in a lot of different things. 
It's the desires of the flesh. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It's, he's talking about what drives us. We have those lusts of the flesh. We have those desires. And, and what Paul's saying is don't let those drive what you do. Instead, present yourself as righteous to God as opposed to being driven by those instruments, those desires of the lust, desires of the flesh. And, you know, sadly, living here in America today, our culture really encourages self our culture encourages, you know, indulgence, self-indulgence, and, and pursuing the, the desires of the flesh. You look at the whole movie industry and the stuff that they put in the movies, you know, appeals to a lot of our sexual desires. Um, you know, over the years, just some of the different advertising slogans um, that appeal to self-indulgence and self. You know, you deserve a break today. Grab for the gusto. There was a jingle that was used, two different companies have used it. Chase Bank used it, and there was another one that used it, and I don't remember who it was, but this little jingle goes, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, I want it now. I mean, how much more self-indulgent, you know, ego-centered you know, can, can it be then, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. But that's, that's the mentality that our society um, really encourages. Um, they tell us we always got to be looking out for number one. Um, so that's just, you know, the, 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 the influences in our culture to submit to the lusts of our flesh is really strong. Um, the, the third word that Paul used there was this covetousness. And no pun intended, but that's, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, it's that I got to have what my neighbor has. I got to have better than what my neighbor has. I got to have bigger than what my neighbor has. That's right. I, my yard's got to be nicer. My grass has to be greener. It has to be perfectly manicured. And here again, you know, our whole culture, our whole society, again, promotes this type of covetousness, this type of materialism. All the different things that we can buy that if we don't have the money today, we can get a payment plan. Um, we can go and buy things with no interest. You know, 90 days, same as cash. Um, car dealers advertising, drive away today. Um, credit guaranteed, nobody turned down. So... You know, again, our culture, our society feeds on our covetousness. We get a lot of help from culture, from society. Um, and then Paul says, after Paul runs through this list, he says, Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. That doesn't really need a whole lot of explanation, I really don't think. He's saying, you know, these kinds of activities... You know, as saints, these aren't fitting for us. Don't even let it be named among you. Because what happens when we, we display these kinds of things and we profess to be Christians, 
we get labeled as hypocrites. And quite honestly, if these are the things that drive us and we profess to be a Christian, then we are a hypocrite. Um, so that's why he says, don't even let it be named among you. Turn to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul's writing to the Corinthians there. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. Paul's writing to them about a specific thing that he heard about their church. And, he, and in his point of showing how bad it is, he says, you know, there's something going on there that's not even named among the Gentiles. And we know that, you know, uh, the Gentiles are the unbelievers in this context. And he's saying, look, e even the unbelievers aren't doing this kind of stuff, and you guys are doing it. And just again, it's saying, you know, this type of immorality is not to be connected at all with the Christian life. Why? Because sin is sin, and it's of the devil. Righteousness is of God. And so when you're committing these kinds of sin, you're, you're, you know, it's of Satan. It's of the devil. And there's no place for it with God. Um, it all goes back to when we kind of started these first, these last three chapters, you know, verse, or chapters 4, 5, and 6, where chapter 4 of Ephesians in verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. And that's kind of the point that he's building on here, is you walk worthy of it. You were called to be this, walk worthy of it. Don't let these things be named amongst you. Why? Again, it goes, it goes to the fact that we can claim to be a Christian all day long, but when our actions speak otherwise, that's what we're going to be known by. We're going to be known by our actions. And there again, it gets back into how and why and when we get labeled as hypocrites. Or, and, and even worse than that is when our actions deny what we say, um, it makes our witness both ineffective but also detrimental. You know, you can have a witness that's ineffective. It doesn't make an impression on anybody. Or you can have a witness that's detrimental, that it does more harm than anything. A person says, why would, I, why would I want to worship his God? Why would I want to go to his church? Why would I want to be a Christian if that's how they live? Okay, verse 4. He goes on and says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Again, we're back to items of the, what we say, what comes out of our mouth. Previously, in you know, verse, the first verse we looked at, verse 3 there, he's talking about specific actions. Now he's talking about what comes out of our mouth. And again, the um, context here is along the lines of sexual immorality from the standpoint that when he says here, um, neither filthiness, which in the Greek means, it's translated from a word that means obscenity. So filthiness or obscenity, obscene language. And, and you know, there's, we all know what obscene language is. We all know it when we hear it. But, you know, we also, too, as individuals have ways of doing obscene or speaking obscene ways, um, 
watered down, glossed over, things like double entendres, where, you know, you say something that can sound innocent, but you can also have another meaning. And usually those types of things are done, you know, with the intent of having that other meaning. So that's what he's talking about here, these kind, this kind of language. And again, um, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. Um, and again, the coarse jesting in the context of this is along the lines of, you know, dirty jokes and obscene things. And again, he's saying that it's not fitting, was what he said in the previous verse. These things are not fitting. Um, he says, but rather giving of thanks. What comes out of our mouth shouldn't be sinful, but what comes out of our mouth, as we've seen in other verses, should be for the edification, the building up, the uplifting of others, or as Paul says in here, and for giving of thanks. He says, instead of giving, instead be giving of thanks. Why should we be giving of thanks? Because all that we have, all that we are, and all that we do comes directly from God. We have a tendency of, as human beings to want to boast about some of the things that we've done, and we want to boast about some of the things that we are, and we want to boast about some of the things that we do, but in reality, it all comes from God. It's God who gives us our next breath. It's God who gives us our next heartbeat. It's God who gives us every bit of intelligence, skill, and talent that we've ever used to accomplish the things that we have. And so the whole idea is we should be giving thanks. We should be constantly giving thanks, and the things that come out of our mouth should reflect that. Verse 5 says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, there again he just basically takes those first three sins that he was talking about in verse 3, and then he puts it in the personal form. He says, you know that no fornicator, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. An idolater. We all know that an idolater is a person who worships idols. The thing we must keep in mind is that in the true biblical sense, worship is your lifestyle. We in, in the church in America today tend to think of our worship as the music that we do on Sunday morning in our church. We, we have music leaders, and we call them worship leaders, and we tend to think of it that way. We tend to think of worship when we're at church on Sunday morning, and we're praising God, that that's our worship. And sadly, that is a, an extremely tiny part of our worship. Our worship is our lifestyle. We worship God every day how we live. That is, that is what worship truly is. And so in this same sense, um, an idolater, someone who worships idols, is someone whose lifestyle, his life is focused on idols. Lots of times we tend to think of idols as being images. We can read in the Old Testament, you know, about they worship all these different idols and that. And an idol can be a, an image, an object. But idols can be all different kinds of things. And what it gets down to is 
idolaters who worship idols, the idols can be whatever it is that you pursue in life. If we are pursuing fame, if we are pursuing fortune, if we are pursuing our job at the neglect of God, those are idols. And that's what he's saying here. He says, you know, um, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. Those people, that's what their idol is, and that's what they're worshiping, and that's what they're pursuing. He says, has no place in the kingdom. Basically, he's, Paul's saying, your lifestyle of that kind of sin will disqualify a person from eternity in the kingdom. There are going to be no of those kind of people who that was their idol and that's what they were pursuing in life is going to be in the kingdom. There's no room there. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Empty words. What are empty words? Empty words are words that are void of truth. And we speak a lot of empty words, a lot of words that are void of truth. I've got a couple examples here. There's a bunch of examples. But I've got a couple examples here that relate specifically to Christians and the church. First example, a Christian who offers assurance to a professing believer living in sin. You've got somebody who claims to be a Christian, is a professing believer, and yet they're living in sin. And it could be a sexual sin, it could be any kind of sin. And... and as a Christian, you know, you offer words of assurance to, oh, that's okay, it's all right, uh, or God's grace is big enough to cover that, or, well, in time you'll get over it, in time God will mature you and you'll get outside of that. Those are empty words. Those are not truthful words. The truthful words are, as Paul has laid out here, if you're living in that kind of sin, it's not fitting. That's one example of empty words when we assure somebody that their sin is okay. Another example of empty words is those churches that allow someone living in sin, for instance, a homosexual, an avowed homosexual, preaching from the pulpit. There are churches, there are denominations that are doing that. They're allowing an individual living in sin, a homosexual lifestyle, to, quote, Preach God's word to the people in the church. Those are perfect example of empty words. You've got a person whose lifestyle isn't matching what they may be saying. And more than likely, probably what they're preaching from the pulpit probably isn't truth either. It's going to be clouded by their lifestyle. So anyhow, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Turn to uh, Romans 1.18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God. He talks, Paul was talking about how these people are the sons of disobedience. People living in sin are the sons of disobedience, and God's wrath will be unleashed on them. And 
one of the biggest problems I think we have today in, in the world in general is that most people don't take the wrath of God seriously. The reason we don't take the wrath of God seriously is because we can commit sins our whole life and we don't experience the wrath of God. It's not immediate. It, it's, it's not, it doesn't come immediately after the sin. Now, in many cases, you can live a sinful life and you have consequences that come with those sins during your lifetime. But the wrath of God is not unleashed on you until after you pass away, until after you die. And after you die, the wrath of God is very real and it's very ugly. Um, someday when I teach on hell, we'll talk about the torment of hell. And we'll talk about being cast into the lake of fire for eternal torment. That is the wrath of God. That is the wrath of God that is going to be unleashed on the sons of disobedience. So we have to understand it's real and it's ugly. But most people don't see it that way. They have a hard time believing it because, like I said, you can live a life of sin and never feel the wrath of God on this side of eternity. Again, the sons of disobedience, those are people living in sin. They're not sons of God. They're not children of God. We've talked about this before. The Bible is very clear. You're either a child of God or you're a child of your father, Satan. You know, in today's society, it's real popular to say, well, everybody is a child of God. Every, we are all children of God. Well, that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us we're either a child of God, a follower, a believer, or we're a child of our father, Satan. Verse 7, he says, Therefore do not be partakers with them. The them is the sons of disobedience. Let me just kind of wrap up and paraphrase what we looked at in verses uh, 3 through 6. Paul's basically saying, Get rid of your sexual immorality and filthiness and unprofitable speech because these things have no place in the church. These things have no place in your Christian life. They have no place in God's kingdom. Don't be misled by others who say that these things are okay because God's wrath is going to come upon them. That's kind of a paraphrase of verses 3 through 6. Verse 7, he says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And sometimes Scripture speaks so clearly, there's not really much for me to say, to amplify, to explain it. And I think this verse 7 is a classic example of it. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, period. That's it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this time that we've had this morning in your word. We thank you that you, you loved us enough that you were willing to send your son to die for our sins, the multitude of sins that we, we commit. Again, Father, we just thank you and praise you. We thank you and praise you that we have your word to study, to understand, and to incorporate into our life. Father, I just ask that you strengthen and encourage every single person here today. And all these things I ask in your son's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you will not miss a single episode of our podcast. Have a great day.